How's everybody doing? Good. Good. It's a great difference that two years makes. Hallelujah. One thing that Pastor Wayne didn't pick up on was the accent, and I'm very grieved at that, but I understand some things are just really hard to catch. So, you know, maybe another couple of uh, years will do it. Praise God. You know, uh, we're, we're, at a, we're at a great crossroads uh, because um, in another couple of weeks or so, three weeks from now, no, I uh, beg your pardon, uh, four weeks from now, um, four or five weeks, gee, somewhere around there. Can anybody first? In about five weeks from now, we'll be uh, sending out uh, our, th- our second uh, church plant like you guys, uh, this time to uh, New York. And uh, Jeff and Lauren Rossman uh, will be leaving us on May 3rd. We'll have ordination service for them. And uh, Pastor Larry uh, Neville will be there with us, uh, president of our fellowship. And um, so it's going to be kind of tight getting him back to the airport so he can make it back to L.A. in time for a prayer meeting that evening. But anyway, um, so we, we're excited about what God's doing. And you know what, we, what what's happening right now is we're basically in an attitude of getting ready to give birth. And uh, pregnancy is great uh, until you get to the point where it, it's, it's enough now. Enough already, let's go ahead and get this thing out of here. And uh, that, at that moment, and of course, uh, th- there's joy, but there's pain. Uh, and there's always going to be pain because whenever there's a breakthrough coming, there's pain involved in it. And uh, Pain is not something we to shy away with because it comes together with great joy. And um, it's, it's, it's not something that we expect not to be there whenever there's something that's powerful and real and tangible and expression of life. There's going to be pain involved with it. And uh, I know that as Christians, we'd like everything to be completely pain-free. And uh, the reality of it is that life is not without its pain. And of course, pain has its... Reasons for being there. God has a purpose for the pain. Uh, he has a reason for every struggle that we have. And uh, then he has reward for all of our faithfulness in the midst of it. And so I encourage you, don't, don't go, let's not shy away from it. There's always going to be difficulty. There's always going to be trials. You know, when we launched uh, Living Hope Family Church Marana out of us, we, uh, we, we immediately noticed that, you know, the financial side of ch- church at, in, in Tucson kind of took a bit of a dive and, there were a lot of people who left during that time and, you know, moved away and did other things that uh, they needed to go ahead and do and all the rest. And, and, and we had pain with that launch. There was always the pain involved. And thank God we've continued to grow and there's good things that have continued to happen. And uh, so I encourage you that in every phase of life, uh, in every moment of life, uh, when there's stretching involved, there's always pain involved, growing pains. Anybody heard of those things? You know, that aching feeling? It, it's not because something's wrong. It's because you're getting bigger. Yeah. It's exactly what you, I mean, we, we, we immediately interpreted, I missed God. Something's wrong. Something's not working in life. But it's absolutely right. It's the pain that's absolutely right. It's, it's a pain that's part of the moment. It, it's the pain that's part of the season of life that you are in. And the amazing thing is that the, the, the thing being born is completely unconscious of what's going on. It's the person doing the birthing that's experiencing it. You know, children don't grow up remembering hours of labor. They don't have any idea of it at all. And so, you know, as you move into the building now, people are going to come along that are the result of the pain. 
uh, are not going to have any consciousness of what you went through in order for it to actually take place. You know, later on, mothers will look at their kids and say, do you know how much trouble I had to go through for you? And the child's going to look at them with an absolutely blank look on their face with no concept at all of what it involved. So you have the privilege of being there at the front end. Uh, together as, as a church, you have the privilege of being part of those who are the ones experiencing the pain, the pangs, as Jesus calls them, of childbirth, birthing something into the world that is going to go ahead and change this city of Marana, which I found out means our Lord in Aramaic. Marana means our Lord. Uh, it's found right at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, come Lord, uh, even so come Lord, and then it has Mar- Mar- Maranatha. And Maranatha is our Lord come uh, in Aramaic. So it's the language that was spoken uh, in Israel during that time, and it's still spoken in parts of Iraq to this day. So I want to encourage you with the message of pain this morning. Uh, I, I, I know sometimes we kind of think that somebody is a pain, but there is, uh, uh, or maybe somebody thinks you're a pain, uh, and uh, maybe you're in pain. But the reality of it is that God has purposes for the things that uh, happen inside. Of, anybody had hunger pains? Now, we don't really have too much of that. Uh, I mean, looking at me, I don't really look like I missed too many meals in my lifetime. But um, hunger pains are there to let you know that it's time for you to feed yourself, right? Um, the thirst doesn't necessarily produce pain, uh, but certainly if uh, there's exertion and hard exercise, etc., and heat, uh, you can have fair amounts of pain going on in your body which will indicate to you that you, your body is lacking something. And uh, so pain is oftentimes an indication that there is lack. Pain is therefore a protective purpose as well. I mean, if uh, we experience pain, we usually withdraw quickly. Uh, if we burn our hand, we, we're going to go ahead and pull back from it where we recognize that there is something that's dangerous or that there's something that we're in the vicinity of something that's dangerous. Sometimes we feel pain without ha- actually having had anything happen to us uh, at the same time. I'm not really sure where this message is going, but I have decided not to have any slides so that I can just do the free flow here this morning. Now, I've been preaching from the first five books of the Bible uh, in Living Hope for the most of the year, and uh, one of the things that I've discovered is uh, that when we look at the first five books of the Bible, the quick message is this, get who you are from God, listen to Him only, follow Him And don't die in the desert. That's the message of the first five books, okay? Get who you are from God. Listen to Him only. Follow Him. Don't die in the desert. Now, most people get the first part there, but they miss that last one. Don't die in the desert. And and don't die in the moments when there's going to be a trial. Don't die when it looks like this way to the promised land looks like this way to death. Because there's always those kinds of issues. Now, when God went ahead and uh, first formed man, he told him who he was. Uh, Because man was supposed to get all of his information from God about life and not from uh, his five senses, or as they call it, the central nervous system. You know, if you pay attention to it, you'll be centralized on being nervous because it is the central nervous system. It's just your nerves. I know people say, you get in on my nerves. Uh, The reality of the matter is that man has never been intended, and God never intended for us to live 
out of our central nervous system information when it comes to our relationship with God or when it comes to what God wants for our life or his direction or his leading. The greatest failure of, uh, of us is when we follow our five senses, what you can touch, what you can taste, what you can see, what you can smell, and what you can hear. Now, your five senses are, are fairly blind in different areas. Do you know that your five senses can be blindsided? Uh, for example, your nose knows nothing of Tchaikovsky or Shakespeare or anything else. Cannot appreciate any of that. Anybody knows is complete. Sense of smell has no appreciation of the arts, right? Uh, your eyes, are, you know, are, are able to see things, uh, but they can't hear music. They're not able to appreciate any of those kinds of things. And, uh, of course, your ears know nothing of perfume. They have no concept of perfume at all, even though they can hear music. And so... Human senses are limited, and they're not able to see things. And so what happens is your brain, everybody has a brain, but your mind, that's the reasoning part of you, fills in the blanks and decides what is there, what is acceptable, and what is not acceptable. Now, we've got five senses, but we we have a sixth sense as well, which is the human spirit, which is being taught by God that he instructs us and tells us. So we can take experience... Everybody say experience. Now, experience involves the central nervous system, but revelation is what comes from God, and it doesn't involve the central nervous system. It involves, of course, understanding that God himself is giving us information. Now, we live in an age where we mistrust what God says, but we rely on what our five senses actually say, even though we've already discovered and it pointed out that your five senses are not able to appreciate everything. There are certain parts of your uh, sense, sensory perception that are limited, that can't experience or can't enjoy anything that God actually wants for them uh, to be able to enjoy. And the reality is that when we go ahead and we, we listen to God through His Word, the Word of God is a revelation, which means it comes straight from God. It's what God Himself intends for us to know. It's what God Himself intends for us to go ahead and live in. All right. So... Uh, when we go ahead and listen to our five senses, when we listen to our five senses, when it comes to things that deal with God, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Because we are looking in the realm that the devil has claimed that his very own. The mind, the will, and the emotions, the soulish area of our lives, our senses, these are the areas where the enemy attacks us. These are the areas where we feel down. We feel like we're no good. We feel like we'll never accomplish anything. We feel like a failure. All of those things come from our perception of what's going on. How many of you know that even with all of our five senses here, none of our five senses would agree with each other? If we were to ask what is the perception of a particular thing, everybody would have a different opinion, even though they've got the same kind of five senses. So even the perception of the information that is taken from the five senses, three people in a room may have completely different viewpoints of exactly the same piece of information. And so the five senses themselves are not even in agreement with somebody else's five senses don't agree, and that they will have a different opinion and all the rest of it, and so on. Despite the fact that their brain actually, the eyes are looking at it, by the time the information has traveled down the optic nerve, people remember things that never actually happened. People go ahead and believe things that didn't actually occur, and people suspect things of taking place that aren't actually taking place because their suspicion influences the way that they actually see things. It's not what we see that we believe, it's what we think that we see that we actually believe. 
In other words, uh, for example, if somebody says, uh, you know, the woman, young man, a young woman, they woke up every single morning and looked out at the window, and there's the neighbor hanging up the laundry, and uh, she kept saying, man, oh, you know, <laughs> I wish that person would wash that laundry a little bit better. You know, that's definitely, that's definitely shameful to go ahead and hang stuff up on the line that's not already clean. And of course, this conversation was going on and on with the young married couple. And then uh, the next mo- a couple of mornings later, they woke up and she got up and she said, wow, that lady must have got it together, you know, her laundry nice and clean now and everything else. And, and the husband said, no, I got up early this morning and I washed the windows. So <laughs> perception, even our perception doesn't agree with the things that we're looking at. But when it comes to what God says, we can go ahead and believe it because it is the divine perception and it's not waiting for our perception to go ahead and change it. Now, of course, what we perceive about it is different. For example, how many of you believe that God has forgiven you of all your sins? Three of us. Okay, the rest of you, God has forgiven you of all of your sins. Now, why do we believe that? We believe it because I want to, because I have to, uh, because I don't have any other options, because I think it's a nice idea. George said, because I read it in the Bible. Now we're getting to the bottom line, because now we're not even waiting to check with our senses as to whether we believe the Word of God, or check with our feelings as to whether it's true. Amen? Now, we didn't have to wring the promise of forgiveness out of God. It was God's idea. We didn't, you didn't have to plead with Him, beg with Him. When God was completely free to make His own decisions and decide what He was going to do, He made the promise of forgiveness toward us. And all we had to do was go ahead and... Believe it. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, God doesn't have any special commitment to being more faithful to one promise than to another. Can I just say, God's got no special commitment to being more faithful to one promise than what he is to another. So it's just as easy to believe that we're forgiven as to believe that we've been delivered. Amen? Amen? Now, we don't believe we're forgiven because we feel forgiven. Right? We believe we're forgiven because it's written in the Word of God. If we believe it, it's going to affect our feelings, right? Not necessarily all the time. Sometimes you're just going to have to go ahead and stick it out. Now, how do you stick it out when it's tough and it's not? You go ahead and you keep confessing, I'm forgiven. I'm clean. I'm free. I am completely whole before God. Amen? So if I believe I'm forgiven, I can believe that I'm whole. Even though I feel like I'm a basket case, even though I feel like my head is completely messed up, even though I feel like everything about my life is going in the wrong direction, I can go ahead and believe what God said, that by His stripes I was healed, and believe that I'm whole. Why? It's just as easy to believe that I'm whole, and I'm free, and I'm delivered, as it is to believe that I'm forgiven. Right? Because God is not more especially committed to one promise, than he is to another. It's, it, it, it is, it, God is equally committed to all of them, and he will fulfill each of them if we will go ahead and we will trust him, just as when we trusted him for salvation. Amen. Now, when you were born again, you were changed. Did you feel different the moment you were? Some people do. Some people didn't. But the reality is, at some point later on in our life, as we are meeting the hustle and bustle, we're being tossed to and fro by all the stuff that's going on, it gets really difficult some days where you don't even feel human, let alone saved, okay? You don't feel like God is for you. God is with me, is what the scripture says. I will never leave you nor forsake you, is the promise of God. And yet it's so easy to feel alone. 
Amen? So what do I do when I feel alone? Do I say, God has suddenly left me? The Holy Spirit has flown and taken flight. I have been abandoned. I'm left to my own devices. God is not concerned about me anymore. Those thoughts come. Those things come. Those things come to try and tear down your faith because the devil knows the connection, the means by which you connect to truth is faith. The means by which we connect to the facts that we see with our eyes and hear with our ears and touch and taste and smell, we connect to that by perception through the optical nerve, through the auditory nerve, through the sensory nerves. How many know it's all through the nervous system that it's coming through? And sometimes those things misfire. Sometimes those things don't even... People can actually see illusions with open eyes. So, and the illusion isn't the eye seeing an illusion. The illusion is... The eye is still seeing what is there. What's happening with the nervous system is causing the issue because it's not what's actually being seen. You, if you didn't have a brain, you wouldn't be able to see. If you didn't have a brain, you wouldn't be able to hear. You wouldn't be able to smell. Everything we have, even the uh, olfactory sensory system, the, the nose, the nerves, and the, you're, you're smelling because of your brain. Your brain does the smelling. Your brain does the seeing. Your brain does the hearing. Your brain does the collecting of information, right? Well, not your brain, your mind, which they can't work out. I mean, they check all kinds of things, seeing how it's firing. They're trying to work out, how do you get a mind out of a brain? Because some people have a brain, but they don't have any mind either. They're kind of mindless, or they, they checked out on everything else like that. So how does that work together? And so if we're going to go ahead and we're going to believe the Word of God, the, the bottom line is we connect to what God's revelation to us is by our faith. We choose to believe. We choose to say yes. We choose to agree with God even though we feel like it's not there. And we choose to believe God before it happens. Can you say amen? Now we're going to need that as we get to the next stage of life. Even as a church, we're going to need that as we get to the next stage of life. As a married couple, we're going to need those things. Why? Because we need the reality of God's wholeness for our lives. We need the reality of God's freedom for our lives. We need the reality of God's forgiveness for His healing. All of those things, we need that. Nothing that God supplies is unnecessary. Nothing. I remember asking a young lady quite a few years back, if she spoke in other tongues, she said, oh, I don't need that. And that's what I said. Nothing God supplies is unnecessary. No gift of God is superfluous. No gift of God is an optional extra. Everything that God has supplied is everything that we absolutely have to, must have, can't live without, will go into trouble, will not make it if we don't have it kind of stuff. That's what God gives to us. Amen. Because he wants us to have it. Now, some of us are living with almost nothing, but it's not because God's stingy or his hands are too tight. It's because we're not taking a hold of it because faith inside of us is not strong enough, so we're not going ahead and appropriating and grabbing what it is that has been freely provided. So we're living beneath what God wants for us. We're living outside of his power. We're living with less than what he desires for our lives, but he still wants us to have all of those things. Now, the enemy is very, very clever. He comes and he tries to undermine our faith and uh, do all kinds of things. If you just quickly go with me to Genesis chapter 2, we will get to the Bible in this particular message, I promise. Genesis chapter 2. 
Verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. So God says to him, hey, in the day that you eat from it, you will die. Actually, literally says, in the day that you eat from it, in dying you will die. So in death you will be dead. Is what he says to him. It's used twice. Uh, it's translated as surely die. I know that Hebrew uses uh, double, double uses of words to emphasize something. But in this case, the implication is that the initial death is going to result in the ultimate death. Adam, when he ate, didn't die. He didn't fall over right away, correct? But when he ate, the initial death did result ultimately in an ultimate death 930 years later. Some people say, well, why did it take Adam so long to die and we die much quicker? Well, because Adam didn't know how to die. He had no concept of it. He'd only had a relationship with God. And it took a while for him to look at all the other animals getting chewed up round about and everything else going on for him to be able to begin to perceive that death was something that was a foregone conclusion uh, for his life. So just my personal opinion uh, from it. Okay. Then the enemy comes in Genesis chapter 3, as you well know, and his purpose is to go ahead and question God. The devil always questions the, ver- the, the veracity, the truthfulness of what God says. Now, if God says you're healed and you're whole, which he, we know he does, he says that. We know that his purpose is to bless you and provide for you, right? My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. Christ Je- in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19, all of your needs, every single need, according to what? According to your goodness, according to your performance, according to your, um, let, your, your pathetic condition. Is it because you are in, in a, a situation, when, what's the word I'm looking for? Not pathetic, um, that kind of has a bad connotation. Um, yeah, God doesn't, feel, God doesn't work in your life because he feels sorry for you. In fact, to be perfectly honest, God doesn't feel sorry for you at all. What he feels sorry about is that you don't know how much he's provided for you. And he feels sorry about the fact that you haven't believed him enough to take everything that is yours. But you, you, we of all people should never be pitied. God doesn't work out of pity, right? God, you're not pitiful. You're blessed. You, 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 you don't need anybody's sympathy. You, you have the admiration of angels. They long to look into what we... Angels are stunned that we are so blessed. that they, they, they have an ongoing discussion in heaven among the angels that they would like to see what it is that we've actually been made partakers of. They don't even understand how we could become such objects of God's love and concern. We have the admiration of angels. If we're admired by angels, we better start taking some look at what's going on in our life. But the problem is we just have a very low opinion of who we are. We have low opinions. I, I, I have been pastoring for quite some time now, I think more than 30 years now. And in 30 years, I haven't found anybody that has a really high opinion of themselves. Usually, if they have a high opinion of themselves, they're, they're actually camouflaging a very low opinion by overreacting. I've actually seen that every time when somebody's like braggadocious, you know, big, loud, brash, everything else like that. They're, just, they're compensating for a very low esteem situation in their life. They're, 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 it's reactionary rather than, 
there's no rest involved in it. It's not a settled thing inside of their heart. They're trying to make a noise, and as Shakespeare said, methinks they doth protest too much, which means that they are making such a noise that it's obvious that that's not the truth about what's really going on. It's like when somebody tells me, I really love my wife. I really, really, really love my wife. I really love my wife. I know there's a problem. <laughs> Why? Because no normal person says that. Unless he's, but are you trying to convince yourself or are you communicating with me that all is well? Okay, I, I understand. So the, the first thing that God says, hey, in the day that you eat from it, you're going to die. Verse 4 of chapter 3. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, And he ate, and then, everybody say then, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Wow, what kind of knowledge is this? But look here, verse 6, after she's listened to the devil for a while, which is the problem, you shouldn't be listening to the devil. Only way to shut the devil up is to start speaking. And I don't mean in your head, I mean out loud with your mouth. You've got to take control of the situation, right? Remember when a kid's or somebody mouthing off and giving you trouble, it's time that you say something. You can't just keep silent at that point. You've got to take control, right? And when you take control, you take control with your lips. Because this is the way we possess what God wants for us. This is the way also that we go against what the enemy... Nobody got saved without confessing Jesus as Lord. Nobody ever. Nobody ever walked in victory without declaring, I am more than a conqueror through him that loved me. Amen. Nobody ever managed to do that. You are going to have to use your mouth and declare it. You're going to have to use your mouth and say, My God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And how much riches does God have in glory in Christ Jesus? I know some people when you start saying, Well, God has stuff for you. You say, Well, well you know, I, I, I know how to get by with modest means. Me too. But I'm telling you, if you've got vision, you need stuff. Amen? If you've got vision, and I'm not talking about vision for my life and my family. I'm talking about vision for the kingdom of God. I'm talking about seeing what God wants to do. We need stuff in order to do that. Can you say amen? And in order for that to happen, we need the body to prosper. We need, the, we need every Christian to go ahead and do better than what they're doing. We need them to do better in their emotional well-being. We need them to be far more stable, far more happy, far more joyous, far more outgoing, far more concerned about somebody else's needs than of their own needs. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's called healthy. We need the body healthy. We need the body whole. We need every part of our lives whole. That's why we're ministering what we're doing. Why? Because there's nothing more attractive than whole people. Healthy people, happy people, people who have, this is the real, we're not the most beat up bunch on the planet gathering together to go ahead and hope that God doesn't notice us this morning and hope that he doesn't beat on us again and make our life more miserable and cause us more trouble and more difficulty. No, we're here to give thanks. We're here to go ahead and glorify him because of what he's already done for us. Hallelujah. We're not here to go, please don't beat me anymore. Please, I promise I'll be good this week. 
It's not that at all. God has promised His goodness to us long before we ever promised anything. God is consistently who He is. Always. And we can't talk Him out of being who He is. We can't stop God. No argument from us has ever been persuaded, yet persuasive enough to God to get Him to be anything other than God. And He is love by virtue of His person. Not by cause of our performance, but because of who He is. God loves us because of who He is, not because of who we are. God's promise is toward us, and His promise is as sure as His person. God would have to give up being God if He didn't keep His words to us. And the reality is, He can't lie. He'll never go back on it. So He creates man and woman. He does all these things. Then He goes, the, God creates man and woman. Then He says to them, hey, you need to watch out. The enemy is going to try and undermine everything that I'm trying to do in your life. And He tells them to go ahead and keep the garden. How I many you know you've got to keep your garden? That doesn't mean just have it, it means protect it. Okay? You already have it, but now you've got to protect it. Why? Because somebody's going to come and sow some bad stuff in it if you don't go ahead and protect it. Can you say amen? You know, thoughts, words, or seeds. If somebody's going to sow bad seed to you, if somebody comes and tells you something nasty, what do you do? You take it to heart, believe it, get all upset, miserable, and go ahead and mope for a whole week? That's taking it and planting it in your garden, giving it some water, and waiting for a crop to actually grow. I found that it's, uh, if people say something mean or nasty or, or something bad towards me, I found that I'm far more ready to believe it than if somebody says something nice. Usually I say, when somebody started telling me something, I said, what do you want? Because we're suspicious of good things. Isn't that amazing? We take hook, line, and sinker every evil thing that's ever spoken. And when somebody says something, we go, what do you want? What are you looking for? What do you want from me? We, we are suspicious of any good thing. And that's how the enemy has doctored our, our sensory perception, our five senses, our central nervous system, has a bias towards the negative. That's why we, 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 we call ourselves realists, because we can see the facts. There's no greater fact than what God says. Because without what God says, we wouldn't even have a world to complain that it was going downhill. Amen? The worlds exist by the word of God. If everything we see exists by the word of God, why can't we believe that what he said we have, we actually have it because it's spoken by the same word? Amen? Absolutely. There's no greater fact. I mean, somebody said, no, you've got to face the facts because we're realists. We're not dreamers. We're not dreamers either. It's far more reliable to believe what God says than what your five senses say. Why? Because you are, we've already worked it out, your five senses aren't even in agreement with anybody else's five senses. Three people can disagree about the same event and come up with different aspects of it and so on. So the reality is the only stable piece of information that we have at the end of the day is what God says in His Word. It's the only thing that we have to go on. It's the only thing we can found our lives upon. Can you say amen? amen. Nothing else is going to matter in our lives. So what did she see? She saw that the tree was good for food. Was it good for food? No, it was going to kill her. God said, when you eat from it, you will surely. So is it good for food? No, if you eat that, you're dead. Her eye saw a lie. Her senses saw a lie. It was a delight to the eyes. Was it a delight to the eyes? <clears throat> I don't know. I, 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 I presume that the enemy can make vomit look attractive. 
Yeah, so the scripture says that a dog, uh, the dog returns to its vomit and a pig once being washed returns to wallowing in the mire. So the devil can make bad, bad stuff look good to us, right? I mean, look, look at Christians who backslide. They keep going back to the world. What does the world do to them? The world mocks them, makes fun of them, tears them down, uses them as the joke in the office, on the workplace, everything else, and they want to go back to the world. They want to go hang out with the world. It's like an abusive relationship. It's like a wife who gets beaten by a husband over and over again and verbally abused by a husband over and over again, and, and, and she wants to go back. Why? Because she's suffering from a psychosis that thinks that she doesn't deserve anything better, and it's time Christians stopped acting like an abused wife, keep on going back to the abusive husband of the world to get smacked around again, to get torn down again, to get verbally abused again, to be the butt end of every single joke. We, don't, we haven't lost anything there. We won't gain anything there. They've got nothing to give. We have what we need already from the mouth of our God. Hallelujah. We don't need any of the other stuff. All we need is what Jesus has already spoken concerning us. Amen. So let's not live with this kind of psychotic behavior where we think somehow the world is going to make us happy. You were in the world and you weren't happy. You came to Jesus and you experienced the joy of your salvation. And now what you need to do is lay hold of it, begin to declare it, state it, say, yes, this is it over and over again. And don't let go of it. Hallelujah. Because there's an enemy who wants you to give up on it. And he'll do anything he can to talk you out of it. He will. He'll do anything he can. And the way that he tries to talk you out of it, he tells, tells you God's, God's mean. God, God's unfair. God doesn't have your best interests at heart. God's hiding something from you. God doesn't want you to have any fun. Anybody heard that one? Fun? Yeah. Fun like, you know, picking up an STD. That's fun. You know, getting to uh, uh, having so much fun that you get hooked on the thing that was supposed to be fun. Now your family's deprived, your kids are starving, everything's going wrong round about you. But God doesn't want you to have fun. The reality is whatever the enemy is trying to put out there as fun is actually the hook to draw you in to destroy your life. And I guess he's really good at baiting it. And we're really dumb sometimes because we take it. Amen? And this is a, and, and listen, the dumbness wasn't, wasn't, is not unique to any of us. It happened, look, Eve was dumb right there. She was perfect and she was dumb. She didn't have a fallen nature inside of her, right? She didn't have anything evil about her, right? She was perfect and she was tempted. You can be perfect and you can be tempted. You can have everything right with you and think that there's something wrong with you. She had everything right with She had everything provided for you. She had, she had all that she ever needed and she thought she needed something else. It's amazing how the enemy does that, you know. It's like you get one of those catalogs. I don't know if you have a fly on a plane or something. You open it up because there's nothing else to do in the stupid flight. And suddenly, you discover inside of the pages a picture of some weird-looking article that you can't live without now. You never knew it existed, but now you've got to have it. You absolutely gotta master and must have it right away. So they even have the number there sometimes where you can actually use it. Used to be back in the days they had the in-flight thing that you'd pay for, but if you called and ordered the thing, you didn't have to pay for it because they know 
get you to do it right away. Let's get you hooked. Let's get you sucked right in. Let's get you there. And the enemy does exactly that. There are things that you don't even know about, and suddenly he wants to introduce them, and you think, I can't live without them. It's as easy to believe that you're free as it is to believe that you're whole, as it is to believe that you're healed, as it is to believe that you are forgiven. God has no special commitment to one promise over another. If we believe that we're forgiven, then we need to believe that we're free. Amen? And more than that, we need to believe that we're changed. Because the real issue isn't just being forgiven. The real issue is to have a new nature inside of us. Bottom line is, man isn't lost because of what he does. Man is lost because of what he is. It's because man is wrong, not because man does wrong. Man does wrong because he is wrong. And when you come to Jesus and we receive him, he takes out the heart of stone, And he puts in a heart of flesh and he changes us and he makes us brand new at that moment so that we are now fit for heaven, not because of what we do, but because of what we are. We are holy. We are now children of God. It has not yet appeared what we shall be. In other words, what we'll look like. doesn't say what we shall become, what we shall be. But when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. When When we see him, we're going to be exactly like him. Truth is, we're like him now. But our five senses don't communicate that, amen? What are our five senses communicating? You've had such a miserable life. What a sad experience you're having. How empty your life is. How down you feel. How useless you feel. How depressed you are. How miserable everything is. Is that what your senses are telling you? We need to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We need to start fixing our minds on things above. Things above, the reality, heavenly realities that are part of my earthly life through a heavenly Father who has come to live inside of this earthen vessel. That's what I need to be settled on. Amen? I can't walk in victory outside of that. There is no victory outside of choosing where I'm getting the information of my life from. I can't have it any other way. Can you say amen to that? She went ahead, she said it was desirable to make her wise. That wasn't true. What kind of wisdom is that? Wisdom of throwing everything away. And then she went ahead and she ate. And the moment that she ate it, the reality was she discovered that she, what she knew was what she had lost, not what she had gained. The revelation she had was the revelation of loss. Now that she'd lost it, now suddenly she began to appreciate it because she didn't even know that it existed prior to that. And, you know, the bottom line is experience may be the best teacher, but here's the reality. Better to learn by somebody else's experience than your own. Can you say amen? The greatest mistake of all is the one from which we learn nothing. And the greatest mistake of all is to think that you have to make all your own mistakes. You can look at somebody else's and avoid yours. Amen? You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to do it all over. The Bible is there to give us information so we don't have to learn all the stuff all over again. We can learn by looking at what is already there and we don't have to go ahead and repeat it in our lives. Can you say amen to that? Here's the other thing that I know. I know when I'm speaking to you, I can see the aha moments, the eyes are lighting up. People, Some of you just staring at me saying, I have no idea what you are saying at all. Like the accent, don't understand what you're saying. Well, I've discovered recently that making a mistake, the greatest need when you get into a place where you've made a mistake or you've suffered something that's in error, the greatest, mis- the greatest need is courage. 
courage. This is how you don't die in the desert. Amen. Remember that I said that you get your identity from God, you listen to his voice, you follow him, and you don't die in the desert. That's what God's telling you to do. Don't die in the desert. And the way that you die in the desert is if you start listening to the voice of a stranger. When you start entertaining the thoughts of the enemy. And he's very subtle in trying to introduce them to you. And of course he has, the devil can rationalize any sin that there is. He's had years of practice. He knows exactly how to talk you into it. If you can be talked into anything, he's the consummate salesman. And the car that he's selling doesn't even have an engine. And you think it's the best model on the road. Amen? So let's not be foolish in our lives. Amen? What we need, when you're going through a hard time, what you need, you can all, we can all be brave without making any mistakes. Then we've got confidence, don't we? We've never made any mistakes, never done anything. We're brave. We've got confidence. We can do anything. It's when you face a failure, that's when you need courage the most. Because that's when you need to get up and go forward and not stop. You can't quit at that moment in time. You're going to have to go forward. What was God's words to Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be afraid. But God, there's some pretty big giants in the land. God, there's some pretty big monsters out there. There's some terrible things that are going on there. Surely it's wisdom to be afraid. Well, it's, it's wisdom to be afraid if that's the only piece of information you have. Amen? I mean, if you look at a problem, and the only information you have is the problem, and you don't have any solutions, how I mean, you know that's going to go ahead, that, that will cripple you at that moment in time. But when you look at a situation and you recognize that the resources that you have are more than able to meet that, that is only a temporary situation, it's not the end. For example, uh, you, you, you look at somebody um, you, you know, whose leg has been bent off to the side and say, oh my God, that's the end of the world. You'll never be able to walk. No, we know we can put that thing back together again. The, the leg can be reset. The, the joint can go ahead and be made strong. Can you say amen? Uh, now, sometimes people have weird ways of dealing with situations. They have a one-size-fits-all. I, I know somebody whose standard question, if you're not feeling well, is, are you adequately hydrated? <clears throat> So I made a joke this week. I said, just imagine you walk in, the guy's leg is lying in the corner over there, his arm is twisted off and lying in the back of his head in a very odd angle. And I said, and you would walk in and you'd look at him and say, have you been keeping hydrated as the solution to the problem? Obviously, hydration is not the solution to the problem, okay? Obviously, the problem is that there needs to be a reattaching of ligaments and joints and everything else. And we can do that through medical science. So it's, we don't see it as a major issue. What we have to do is to make sure the person stays alive long enough to recover, to make sure they don't die before they can get well. <clears throat> That's really what a lot of pastoral ministry is. It's making sure that people don't die before they have an opportunity to get well. Because they will get well if they can start growing and taking the truth and everything else. It's like we're doing, we're doing, we're doing triage work. We're making sure that people don't get stuck in a situation, that they don't die, that they don't quit, that they don't walk away, that they don't give up, that they don't say, this is never going to happen in my life. We're making sure that all of those things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Why? Because no matter what's gone wrong, thank God he can put it back together again. If you give him the opportunity. Amen. Amen. If we'll go ahead and trust him. All right? Praise God. 
I have a bunch of stuff here that I wanted to get to, but I'm not going to go into that. There we are. All right. Hallelujah. Last thing you want to do when things are going wrong is to start grumbling. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 gives us a long list of sins that the children of Israel did that, that left them dead in the desert. They had come through, uh, they had come through the uh, Red Sea. They'd passed over it as if on dry land. They'd seen the hand of God. They had seen the miracles that had happened. You'd think they would have been people of strong faith, right? No, they were still living in their senses. Why would they be people of strong faith if they were still living in their senses? Let me just quickly go to, um, before we go there, go, go with me in your Bibles, please, to uh, 1 Corinthians. I want to go to 1 Corinthians, and let's look in chapter uh, 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want to look down there in... Uh, uh, oh, I'm in 2 Corinthians. Sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want to look down there in verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But a natural man, how many know what the natural man is? No, he's not the guy with the, uh, with, with the um, Duck Dynasty beard. That's not the natural man. You know, he's not your average Neanderthal. That's not what he's speaking about here when he says natural man. Not, he's not the guy who doesn't wear deodorant because he thinks it's for sissies. That's not the natural man. Okay, it's not the, it's not the guy who's out there killing his own food with his teeth and bringing it home. Etc. That's not the natural man. That's just your average hillbilly. Okay, but uh, what, what is or well, redneck, whichever they prefer. But um, in verse fourteen, the word "natural man" means a man devoid of the influence of God. It means somebody who has never been transformed. It means somebody who's never been recreated by the Spirit of God. It means somebody who's never been changed. There's no and there's no effect of the power of God. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are what? Foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. Everybody say cannot. It doesn't, it doesn't say he finds it difficult to understand. It says he cannot understand it. Basically, when you are speaking to non-Christians about these things, you are basically doing a wah, 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 wah. That's what's happening. And they have no idea... What you just said sounds like the Charlie Brown episode with an adult speaking, and they don't have any clue at all. It says they, they cannot understand them because they are what? Spiritually appraised. In other words, they are appraised or they are, they are judged. They are evaluated by the Spirit. And since they are spiritually dead, they are incapable of evaluating the value of things that come from the Spirit of God. But verse 15, but he who is spiritual, are you spiritual? Has your spirit been made alive? Yes, it is. Is it receiving information from God? Yes, it is. Is it foolishness to you? No. Otherwise, you're just acting like a natural man. You're just living like a carnal. Now, carnal Christians are different than natural. Later on, he'll talk about carnality. Uh, men of flesh, down there in chapter 3, verse 1. 
And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of, fle- men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. Now, I want you to see that there's too many Christians who are just plain infantile. We've never grown up. Now, I know a lot of wives feel like their husbands are just giant babies, you know. Uh, that what they've got is an extra, ki- extra kid in the house that they need to take care of and pick up after and fetch and clean and do all of the other stuff. But we're not talking about that, so calm down on that one, ladies. We're speaking here uh, about people who are spiritually infants, never grown up. And what is spiritual infancy dependent on? Whether you get all your information from your five senses or whether you get it from God. If you get it from God, you're already maturing. You're already the adult version of Christianity. You're not living according to what you feel. You're not letting your emotions run your life. You're not letting the threats of things that have never come. You know, one, one, uh, one of my mentors in, in, in the Lord, he'd say to me, he said, you know, I've been afraid of many things. The vast majority of them have never happened. He would just say it over and over again. He said, I have been worried and afraid of many things. Most of them have never happened. In other words, it's just energy spent on something that's not going to take place. So much of it is. I mean, we just sit there worrying, suffering through it and everything else, and I'm wrapping it up. Have I gone too long already? I'm okay. How long have I gone for? Uh, 40 minutes. 40 minutes? Okay. When, when the people start banging their watches and holding it to the ears to see if it's still working, then we'll take it. Okay. I could not speak to you as spiritual men, chapter 3, 1, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink and not solid food for you are not yet able to receive it. And indeed, even now, you're not yet able because you are still fleshly. For since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? As long as there's strife and arguing among believers, they're acting like ordinary people rather than citizens of heaven. Let's go back there to chapter 2, verse 15. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Which means nobody can judge you. Because they haven't got a clue what's in you. Amen? Why? Because what are my, what's my methodology of, of judging you? My eyes? My ears? My nose? Wish they'd taken a shower before they came to church. You know, what, whatever, is that, is that going to be the foundation on which we're going to decide whether people are acceptable? That is ridiculous. The reality of it is that he who is spiritual appraises things according to the Spirit. And what is that? If I'm going to judge you, I'm going to judge you according to what God says. You are more than a conqueror through Him that loved you. You have passed out of death and into life. By His wounds, you were healed. I'm judging you according to what God said. Amen? And what am I doing? I'm judging you righteous. I'm judging you whole. I'm judging you complete. I'm judging you as somebody who is experiencing Joy unspeakable and full of glory obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. I'm judging on that. And that's not judgment. The spiritual man, the one who gets information from God, is not passing judgment. He's passing encouragement. His judgment is an encouragement. 
The judgment of the world is a discouragement. You're not gonna, you don't measure up. You don't have the gifts. You're not clever enough. You don't know where, it, where, 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 where things should go. You haven't had enough instruction or education. You don't have enough of an opportunity. That's what the world says. But when we come ahead and we say, no, I'm taking God's information. I have all things in abound. I understand that He's more than enough. Hallelujah. His name is El Shaddai. He's the God of plenty. The God who is more than enough. He's not El Cheapo, okay? God's not El Stingy. He is El Shaddai. He's the God of plenty. He's the God of blessing. He is the God who has everything. So he said, well, I don't, I don't, I don't need a whole lot, Pastor, because, you know, there's other people. That, listen, when God, if God gave you everything he had, he'd still have plenty. You're not going to make God poor by receiving what he has. Get your silly humility out of the way. That's not, that's not real humility. There's silly humility and there's humility. People have silly humility. They think, well, I don't, want to be, I don't want to appear too blessed, so we talk down. Yeah, I got this on sale, you know. It was only like four bucks, you know. It couldn't, yeah, nobody wants to believe you're blessed of God and that he's taking care of you. Let's talk about something that is so, so, don't worry about it. Who cares? Amen? I mean, I'm thankful what God's doing. I really do, and I know we're going to see even more than what we've seen. We haven't even scratched the surface. We don't have to make excuses for being blessed. We don't have to make excuses for being honored and highly favored. I mean, I remembered when I, when, when I went and did my driver's license when I was a kid, and I got it right away. And uh, uh, an older brother <clears throat> was mad because he didn't get his right away. So he figured he wasn't clever. He figured he was dumb. And then afterwards, he told me, you cheated, you prayed. <laughs> I said, what, you didn't know how to pray? You didn't pray? You thought you could do it in your own strength? Wow. Who's the proud one now? Really? I didn't need to ask God to assist me in any of it? Amen? Now, that's crazy. That was just really, really crazy. I remember everything that happened in my, it looked like, People would say to me, gee, you just lucked out. No, I didn't luck out at all. I got hooked in. And I was doing what God called me to do. I remember while I was finished writing that test and passing it immediately and not having anything, somebody called me and said, please stop across the street when you're done. And I I got something to say. I decided I was going to go into full-time ministry. I was was going to quit my job, my my training to be a school teacher, and I was going to go into full-time ministry. And that meant I owed a lot of money because the bill was immediately due, and I owed it to the government, because the government had been paying for all of my studies and everything up until that time. And they called me, and I went across and into this big office, and I came in, and there's this guy with his big desk and everything else, and he had a bit of chit-chat about what God was doing in my life and what he was saying. And then he said to me, pulled out his checkbook, and said, how much do you need? You're going to be humble at that moment? I'm trying to think, how little can I get away with? And I realized, that's dumb. The whole thing needs to be paid. Tell him how much it is. So I did. He didn't even bat an eyelid. He wrote the full check there and handed it into my hand. How did that happen? God didn't want me in the one course, and he was going to do anything he could to get me out of it. Sometimes you feel like if you've been in the wrong direction, God's given up on you, and he's not going to work in your life. I found out when you've been in the wrong direction, God really works to get you out of the wrong direction and get you on the right path as quick as you possibly can. 
There's nothing that says that God only blesses those who have never made a mistake. There's nothing that says that God is only for those who have done everything right. And there's nothing that says that God has special favorites in the world that he only likes those who have never done anything wrong and have never needed his help. Well, if he never needed his help, why would he even have to do anything in the first place? Some people live like they don't need God. And they call themselves Christians. Amen? I read on my refrigerator, I know you've, you probably have heard about it, but a friend of ours had it on his refrigerator. He said, around here, we don't believe in miracles. We rely on them. And there's a certain attitude to that, but I want to say to you, Living Hope Family Church, Marana, we can't just believe on miracles. We can't just believe in divine intervention. We have to rely on it. We can't make it any other way. We're never going to have the impact we need to have. We're never going to see the breakthroughs that we need to see. And we're just never going to get whole and grow strong and be full and free in what God wants for us. If all we're doing is getting the information from a lying senses and the lying devil and the confusion of this world instead of getting all of our information directly from God. Amen? Let's go quickly to Colossians chapter 2. Verse 10. How many know that you joined to Jesus? Jesus is living inside of you. You can't be all that bad if Jesus is living inside of you. He's not living in, he's not living in a shack. Amen? You, you're a temple. You're a beautiful temple. God wouldn't take up residence inside of something that was a complete and utter dud. He made you what you are. God likes your body. He likes dwelling in you. He's chosen it as his chosen habitation. God paid for your body. He's going to raise it up on the last day. You're going to stand before him in the body that you have right now. God has paid for the redemption of that body. He's paid for the wholeness of that body. He's paid for the completeness of that. Amen. In verse 10. And in him you have been made complete. In him you have been made complete. Complete. We're complete. We're complete in Him as head of all principality and power. He's the head over all rule and authority. Hallelujah. First, in First uh, Peter chapter one, or I think it's Second Peter. Let me just quickly get there. Second Peter chapter one, verse four. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. For by these, and he means God's own glory and excellence in verse 3. For by these, he has granted to us. Everybody say, has granted. It doesn't say will grant it to us. He has granted to us. You want to see the effects of faith? Go to Hebrews chapter 11, and you'll see there in Hebrews chapter 11 that every one of those people believed God about things they never actually saw, but they received it. They welcomed it from a distance. They declared, they confessed that they were aliens and strangers in this world. That's what they did. They never actually saw it, but they believed it. They received it. They welcomed it. They said it was theirs, even though they never actually saw it. Abraham 
every time he mentioned his name, went and aligned himself with what God had for his life. Because his name, Abraham, means father of many nations. In effect, every time he introduced himself, every time he responded to somebody calling his name, he was responding to what God said about him. What do you answer to? What do you respond to? What do you believe is your name? Is it, hey, fool? Hey, waste of oxygen? Hey, taker up of space? Is that really what we think we are? And now remember, the Bible says not to think of yourself more highly than what you ought to. But it doesn't say don't think of yourself highly. It don't think more highly than what you ought to. It doesn't say you shouldn't have any high thought about yourself. In fact, when we think highly of ourselves, what we're really doing is we're honoring the work of Jesus Christ and saying, you did an excellent job. You did everything that was necessary. I lack nothing. And for that, I give you thanks. It is worship when we're giving God glory. Verse 4, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you might, may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. <clears throat> so we receive the promises of God, and what happens? We become partakers of what? The divine nature. You know, the reality of it is the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The devil is in charge of the world politically. And the devil is in control of the world of all of those who still have an evil nature inside of them that don't yet have the divine nature. We who have been born again, we have the divine nature. God himself lives in us. We are God-inhabited, God-inspired, and God-instructed godly people living in a godless world. We are little bits of heaven having a journey here on earth. It's temporary, but while we're here, we're spreading heaven to those who know nothing but all of the hell that is now and even the hell that is going to come. And God is this year as those who were instrumental. You know, when God created Adam and Eve, he could have created all of the human race all at once. He could have created the entire human race all at once, but he didn't. He created Adam and Eve and then said, go ahead and have them one by one and participate in the whole experience. God could have created in the resurrection of Jesus he could have recreated everybody all at once, and the entire recreated group of people would have been there. But instead, he didn't. Instead, he raised Jesus up as the, the firstborn among the dead. And then he went ahead and called people who responded, and we get to participate in the new race of people who are in Christ, no longer in Adam, but in Christ. And we get to do it one by one until we fill the whole earth. It's the privilege that God has given to us. And not only do we have the privilege of giving birth to them in the sense that we share the seed of the word of God concerning them. They receive it and they are born again at that moment when they receive the word. But we get the privilege also of instructing them so that they can grow up and be strong in their faith and they can do great things because that's what God called us to. Amen? So my last words to you this morning are don't die in the desert. Don't die in the desert. Keep looking to God. You know, every time they went in the desert, you remember when they grumbled, what happened? Serpents suddenly showed up. Now, it wasn't that there weren't serpents in the desert. It was that they'd actually been protected from the serpents all along. 
But when they started grumbling against the provision of God, God showed them that there had been provision for them that they weren't even aware of. And now they were seeing that they had denied the provision, what it actually looked like. And it looked hellish. There were snakes everywhere. And they came and they bit them. And suddenly they realized, we've sinned. It's amazing how pain quickly brings us to the conclusion, I did something wrong. I made a mistake, a big one. And the reality was, God said uh, to Moses, go ahead, take a bronze, make a serpent, put it on a pole, and lift it up. And everyone who looks at it shall live. Even if he's being bitten, even if the poison of the serpent is in him, and that is guaranteed death, everyone who looks lives. Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 3. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man will be lifted up. So that right there, that we could see that redemption was the way for people to be cured from things that had come upon them because of their own foolishness and because of their own stupidity. God always is a redeemer. He's always redemptive. Never leaves us, even in our self-made mess. God delivers you from deliberate mess. They, would, they did it deliberately. It didn't happen because they were nice and they just made you know, an honest mistake. There aren't too many of those. The reality is they were just miserable and they were mad and they were upset. And they, you know what they said? We loathe this miserable food. You can read it there, Numbers 21. We loathe this miserable food. What are they talking about? Manna from heaven. We loathe this miserable food. And by implication, God is stingy. He's given us miserable stuff to exist on. Besides the fact that the, what they were eating, nobody was sick. Nobody's foot swelled. Their clothing wasn't wearing out. Yeah, this is the scripture. Their clothing didn't wear out. Their sandals didn't wear out. Their feet weren't swelling. They weren't having all the pains of traveling in the desert. They weren't suffering. They actually looked like they were living high on the hog. Right in the middle of the desert, they looked like everything was going good. And when they complained and everything else went wrong, even in that, God said, I still have provided for you. Here's my provision. Lift up your eyes, go ahead and look. Serpent on a pole. Jesus made sin for us so that he could set us free from all of the craziness. God sees amazing things for our lives. And he provides awesome stuff for us. Amen? It's about our heads together. Now, I know I've gone on long this morning, but you'll forgive me because I don't get too many opportunities to address you directly. And we have a genuine love in our hearts for Pastor Wayne and Michelle and for all of you as well because you're part of the vision that God is doing. This is the birthing process that's happening right now. And God, God wants you to grow up in, our, in, in your faith, each of us to grow up. We are to mature. None of us reaches the place in our lives where we have matured to the point where no further maturity is possible. Maturity is needed over and over again. We need to mature. We need to constantly affirm again that our belief is in what God has said, not upon what we can see or feel or any of those other things. God has promised good concerning us. God has promised good concerning His purpose for us. The Lord has given a land full of good things. Has given it. When Joshua stood before Jericho, the captain of the Lord of hosts said, See, I have given Jericho with all of its people and all of its stuff into your hands. God always speaks in the past tense. I've already given it to you. It's already settled. It's already yours. Just go ahead and possess it. 
Hold fast to it. Take a hold of what is yours. I encourage you this morning. God calls us to hold on to it, to possess it, to not yield to it, to not let our lives be manipulated by it, but to have ourselves strengthened, encouraged, built up. Because God sees many hundreds of people touched by your life. Many hundreds of people. You say, Pastor Mike, you're exaggerating. No, I'm not. God sees many hundreds of people touched by your life. He's raising up in this place mighty men and women of God. And we can't doubt for a moment that he will fulfill his word, fulfill his purpose, and do everything that he has promised. We need to take every part of it and hold fast to it. Amen. Amen.